0: Advent is a season of waiting. Advent is a season of hoping. Advent is a season of believing. It's a season of anticipating. It's a season of longing. It's a season of trusting. And I think the lyrics from that famed Christian hymn capture the movements of the Advent season uh, pretty well. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The title of this sermon series is A Weary World Rejoices, and our text today thrusts us right into a world in sin and error pining. We pick up our text in media res, if you will, in the middle of action. Isaiah's massive prophecy is finally winding down, and he's addressing the people of God, both those who have returned from the exile uh, of, Bab- of the Babylonian exile of 586 BC and returned to Jerusalem, and to those of God's people who will read this prophecy in posterity, people like us. God's people through the voice of the lamenter this morning are bemoaning the devastation wrought on their land during imperial rule. And the people themselves have so long lived among outsiders, they no longer live like God's people. Their spiritual sensibilities have grown dull, their intimacy with God, their father is a distant, distant memory. God's people are weary. Yes, they know God has acted in the history of his people, but they haven't seen it. And I can't help but think for many of us, Advent season finds us kind of like them. Not rejoicing, but weary. We know God has acted, but it's just been a while since you felt it. Perhaps this Advent season finds you weary because of life's circumstances. And if we're honest with ourselves, weary because of Sin. So together let's go to God's Word. Let's hear the voice of the prophet who pleads with God to come down. Let us worship the God who has come down in Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Now I'm going to read the whole thing briefly. Uh, Verses 1 through 5a are sort of the first part uh, of the sermon this morning, and we'll call it the God of glory. The God of glory. Verses 5b through 7 are the second part, and we'll call it The people who sin, the people who sin. And then verses 8 and 9 wind out the text, and we'll call those the God who hears. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We've all become like one who's unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind. Just take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Verse one, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, right? Isaiah is saying, oh, that you would just break open the firmament, that you would just pop open the sky and that you would come and the mountains would would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, meaning his coming would have an effect on the creation. The most immovable things in the world, the mountains, even they will tremble at your presence, O Lord, if you would just come down. Verse 2. Verse 3. Yeah, verse 2. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence presence. Make your name known to your adversaries, to the nations who rise against us, that they may tremble at your presence. Glorify yourself, glorify your name, so that all will see that you are the living God, that you are the God of might, you are the God of glory, and you are the God of power. Like you did, verse 3, when you did awesome things that we didn't even look for. You came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. What we're asking you to do, God, you've done before. We're asking you to come down and make the mountains quake so that all will see that you are the God of glory. And you've done that before, God. You've intervened in human history before. You've showed up and changed everything before. In fact, just a little bit ago in the prophecy, we didn't read it today, but God has, uh, the, 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 the psalmist, the lamenter in Isaiah has shared some stories of God's intervening in human history In Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 14, Isaiah, in his lament, writes, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled. They grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? This is the God who's reached into history and delivered his people time and time again. God met with the leaders of his people at Mount Sinai. God has split the Red Sea. God has guided his people into the promised land. Time and time again in the history of Israel, God has shown up and miraculously provided for his wayward people. He's done things they didn't even look for, Isaiah says. He's blown away their expectations. At the risk of sounding trite and cliche, this is a God who does that. God's plan is just better than we think it is. God does things we don't even think we should ask for. Verse 4, from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. There's no God like the God of Israel. Baal and Asherah, they never show up. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. This is the only God who is real, who really lives, who really shows up, who really acts, whose presence is really felt. No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Verse 5, you meet him. Who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. This God, the living God, the God of glory, the God of power, acts for those who wait for him. How beautiful is this news? The God who created everything from nothing, the God who speaks and galaxies form, the God who split the Red Sea, the God who brought water from a rock, the God who used trumpets to topple cities, the God who lives, this God acts. On behalf of people like me and like you, this God acts for those who wait for him. This God meets with anyone who remembers his name and joyfully works righteousness. The God of glory, the living God, the God of Israel, the only one that eye has seen or ear has heard at least a glimpse of. This God acts behalf on lowly people. But what happens, right, what happens when we don't wait for Him? What happens when we don't joyfully work righteousness? What happens when we don't walk in His ways? What happens when we fail? What happens when we sin? We confess our sin every week, and we want to make clear that sin is serious, but I think we're very, very prone to wonder, and we're very, very prone to forget how serious our sin really is. Our sin creates a barrier between us and a holy God. Sin is really, really dark. Sin is really, really destructive, and I, I don't think we're aware of that. I don't think we know the destruction that unconfessed, unhindered sin in our lives wreaks on our souls. Our tendency is just to minimalize sin, to ignore sin, to rationalize sin, or perhaps even excuse sin. But Isaiah uses four similes to help us understand the effect of sin in our life in verses 5 through 7. And we'll get to those similes in a minute. Isaiah says, Behold, you are angry, and we sinned. There's a relationship between God's anger and our sin. Our sin is angers God because it's an affront to his glory. The text says, in our sins, we've been a long time. And shall we be saved? I don't know if anyone else uh, really resonates with that phraseology, right? In our sins, we've been a long time. Can we even be saved? Isaiah is saying, God, like, we've been in sin for a really long time. We've been living like everyone else for as long as we can remember. I mean, we're talking generations. We don't even really look like your people anymore, Lord. If you look with me at the end of chapter 63, the very last verse, in verse 19 of chapter 63, we have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Isaiah said, we've become like the people that you've never ruled over, We've become like the people who, who, don't, who aren't your people. We've become like the rest of the world. We've lived among outsiders for so long. We, we don't even know what it's like to follow you. We don't even know what it's like to wait on you. We don't even know what it's like to trust you. We've been in sin for so long. Can we even be saved? And I think for us, we live today as exiles, right? Our citizenship is in God's kingdom. So who are we really? We are really, at our core, essentially, we are really God's people, God's family. And as we gather as the church, we're gathering as God's family. But we're also gathering as sort of an outpost of citizens who ain't from around here, right? Because at our core, at our heart, when we become a Christian, when we are a new creation in Christ, our citizenship is transferred from the kingdom of earth to the kingdom of heaven. And so our king is not walking the earth today. Our king is Jesus, the lamb who was slain and the lamb who was risen. And so as citizens of the kingdom of King Jesus, we are just pilgrimaging through. That's not the way to say that, but we're going to roll with it. We're just traveling through this weary land. And when we gather, the church is like an an outpost of that kingdom. It's almost like an an embassy where where God's people who aren't from around here gather together. But here's the problem. When we leave the confines of our community, we're no longer in that place, right? Right? We're still citizens of another kingdom, but we find ourselves wandering in a weary land. We find ourselves wandering among people who worship false gods. We find ourselves wandering among people who do not live by the rule of Christ in their lives. And we can find ourselves very, 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 very easily becoming just like everyone else. And I just can't help but think we can get to this place that Isaiah speaks of when he says, like, we don't even look like your people anymore. People wouldn't know that we're God's people if, if we told them, right? Our, our actions don't indicate that reality in our lives. Think about your life. Think about my life. Think about our lives, Right? Maybe you're saying, I can't tell you what makes my life different from my unbelieving neighbor. We both just kind of do what we want. And we're both popping pills to mask our problems. We're both, you know, hooking up with whoever we want. We don't value marriage and God's plan for our lives We buy all kinds of stuff because we think it'll make us happy. We put our hope in political leaders because we think they'll bring deliverance. We get mad and bitter at people, and we don't forgive them. We don't seek grace. We don't seek truth. In fact, we hate the truth. We're gossipy. We're slanderous. We're full of animosity. Can I even be saved? You might ask. Can this change? Can we change? THE ANSWER IS YES. BUT WE MUST REFLECT ON THE REALITY THAT SIN HAS WROUGHT IN OUR LIVES. ISAIAH SAYS THIS, WE HAVE ALL BECOME, VERSE 6, LIKE ONE WHO'S UNCLEAN. AND ALL OUR RIGHTEOUS DEEDS ARE LIKE A POLLUTED GARMENT. WE ALL FADE LIKE A LEAF AND OUR INIQUITIES LIKE THE WIND TAKE US AWAY. THERE IS NO ONE who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. We are like four things, Isaiah says. We're like one who's unclean. We're like a leper. Sin is like a disease that has overtaken our bodies. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment famous Puritan preacher said our very repentance requires repentance, right? Even our best efforts to be righteous, even our best efforts to be good, the text teaches are just like a polluted garment. There's a song where the lyric goes, all my sins went to Christian school, all my sins hold the door for you, all my sins know the golden rule, there's vice in all my virtue. There's vice IN ALL MY VIRTUE. EVEN OUR RIGHTEOUS DEEDS ARE NOT RIGHTEOUS. EVEN OUR RIGHTEOUS DEEDS ARE SOAKING IN PRIDE AND ARROGANCE. WE'RE LIKE ONE WHO IS UNCLEAN. WE'RE LIKE A POLLUTED GARMENT AND WE FADE LIKE A LEAF. WE'RE SO FRAGILE. OUR INIQUITIES LIKE THE WIND TAKE THAT LEAF AWAY. We are the leaf, our sins are the wind, and it just takes us wherever we want. We're like one who is unclean. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind. Take that leaf wherever it pleases. Verse 7, there's no one. Isaiah looks around the community. There's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. No one just pulls himself up by the bootstraps. No one gets good enough for you. No one snaps out of their sin and just turns to God out of the goodness of their own heart. Why? The text says, For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. You have hidden your face from us and you've made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. We have turned from you and we've turned to the gods of the people, the worthless idols, and you've, in a sense, allowed us to wonder. You've, in a sense, allowed us to live in the rule, uh, by the rule of sin in our lives. And we are just melting away as sin wreaks havoc in our lives. You've hidden your face from us, and we are melting in the hand of our iniquities. Verses 8 and 9. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we have strayed. We can't tell you what it's like to live righteously. We can't tell you what it's like to live in a way that pleases you. But Lord, you are still our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people." In essence, Isaiah says, "Lord, we have strayed, but you are our Father. We are the clay, you are our potter. You have created us, Lord. Lord, would you not remember our iniquity forever? Would you forgive us? Would in some way would you pass over our iniquity? In some way would you uh, relent your anger? would you be merciful toward us? Look, Father. As dirty and as filthy and as messed up as we are, we are yours. Church, the sin of the Israelites was great, but the love of their father was just greater. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. But God had heard their pleas. God heard their cries for deliverance and salvation. And God had something far greater than just rebuilding Jerusalem in mind. God had in mind a new Jerusalem. God had in mind the redemption of the whole world. God had in mind a plan by which he would be able to forgive the whole world of its sins. And as the lament has pleaded, Lord, would you rend the heavens in verse 1 and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence to make your name known to your adversaries and the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things in the past like splitting the Red Sea and like getting us to the promised land and toppling our enemies, you've done all these awesome things, God. We are your people. We are struggling to live in Jerusalem. Look around, God. When the people returned, they would have seen that everything was devastated. They're trying to pick up the pieces of their broken lives. They're trying to understand what it looks like to live as God's people again. They're trying to one day believe again that there is hope for Israel, that there is hope for their lives, that their distinctiveness can return to them, that sin doesn't have to keep them in bondage. And they're looking around, and they're exasperated, and they're exhausted, and they say, God, would you just show up? Would you just come down? They move on then to acknowledge the reality of the sin in their lives that's hindering them from their walk with God. That they're not enjoying the presence of God. They're not enjoying the joy that comes with submitting to his rule because they're submitting to someone else's rule. They're not keeping in step with the spirit in their midst. They're they're keeping in step with their flesh. They're doing whatever they want to do. Can we even be saved, God? But Lord, just look at us, Lord. Remember us, Lord. Remember the covenant you've made with Abraham, Lord. And God, as they asked, would come. It wouldn't be in their time. It wouldn't be in their ways. But he would be faithful. His coming wouldn't be what they thought it would be as we'll celebrate in these next several weeks. His coming wouldn't shake the mountains. In fact, couldn't even garner a decent room at a and b Kings and nations wouldn't immediately fall. In fact, they wouldn't even know what was happening. Business as usual would go on, completely unaware of the fact that in Bethlehem, in a tiny stable, was born the one who would eventually bring all of them to nothing because that's how the kingdom of God comes. It comes as a seed before it's the mightiest of trees. God saw his people in their sin. God heard their cries, he heard their confession, he saw their lowly state and he came to free them. Worship team, if you guys would come on up. You know, I don't know where you are today, I DON'T KNOW IF YOU ARE A FOLLOWER OF JESUS AND, and HAVE BEEN FOR A REALLY REALLY LONG TIME. Uh, AND I DON'T KNOW IF YOU'RE NOT A CHRISTIAN BUT YOUR FRIEND OR YOUR family's BROUGHT YOU HERE THIS MORNING OR YOU JUST STUMBLED IN FOR, for WHATEVER REASON AND uh, YOU'RE CONSIDERING uh, THE MESSAGE OF CHRISTIANITY. I, I THINK THERE'S A COUPLE OF THINGS I TAKE AWAY FROM OUR TEXT THIS MORNING. GOD IS AWESOME. He is great in power. He has intervened for his people and he will intervene again. In fact, in Christ, God has intervened and that's what we celebrate over these next several weeks, that God has seen the helpless state of humanity and God has chosen to come himself to bring about his desired solution. I want you to know this morning that God sees you That's good and bad news. It's bad news because he sees the things you don't want him to see. He sees the deep, dark recesses of your heart that you don't let anyone else near. But it's good news because the same God who sees these deep, dark recesses is the same God whose love is stronger than these deep, dark recesses of sin in your heart. That the same God who sees these things about you isn't afraid of these things. That the same God who sees these things is the same God who saw Bethlehem when he opened his eyes and breathed for the first time in a human body. God sees you, sin and scars and all and God has come to you. I want to remind you that God hears you. He hears all who cry out to him in repentance and faith, that though we seem to be so far from him, right? As Isaiah says, would you just break open the sky, right? Would you just take a knife from heaven and split open the firmament so that we could see you again? and that everyone would know that you're God. Could you just do that? Though we can feel so far, and it can be so hard for us to realize that he hears us, I want to remind you that he hears you. He heard Isaiah's cries for deliverance, and he hears ours this morning. The God who sees you is the God who hears you. It's the God who stands ready to forgive you. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. We're weary because of our sin. We're weary because sin is a terrible master. God sees us in our weariness, God loves us, and God has come to us. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Isaiah had no idea fully, at the moment at least, what it would mean that God would come in the flesh to take on the sins of the world. And just as Isaiah looked ahead to the coming of Christ, we look back at the coming of Christ. But we don't just look back at the coming of Christ. We also look ahead at the coming of Christ. That Christ has come once, and Christ will come again. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Would you pray with me? Lord, you see us, you hear us, our weariness is not lost on you. You don't just leave us to our sin, you have come to us that you may provide a way out of our sin, that to the answer, can we even be saved anymore? You speak a resounding yes. Lord, over these next several weeks, help us reflect on the beauty of the gospel. Help us reflect on our helpless estate without you. And in so doing, Lord, humble us. Remind us how weak we are. Remind us that our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Remind us, Lord, that on my own, I am like one who is unclean. Remind me, Lord, that I fade like a leaf, that my life is a vapor. Remind me, Lord, that my sin can have its way with me when I allow it. Remind me, Lord, how weak and how frail and how weary I am. But then, Lord, remind us how strong you are. Make us a humble people over these weeks. Make us a reliant people over these weeks. Make us a people over these weeks whose confidence is in the fact that you have come and whose hope is in the fact that you will come again. I pray that if anyone in here this morning He's just crying out like Isaiah did on behalf of his people. Lord, we've looked like everyone else for so long. Can we even be saved? Can my life even change? Can I even find freedom from these sins that have so long beset me? I pray that through your word, your spirit will speak a resounding yes. God made you. God loved you. And God has come to earth to live the life you should have lived and died the death you deserve to die so that God could forgive you. Thank you for your spirit who meets us in this place this morning and who indwells us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.